Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog, All Together, at altogether.swe.org. Looking for more information and data on women in engineering? Head over to research.swe.org and review the groundbreaking research that SWE has been conducting. SWE's research efforts include reporting on women of color in engineering and how community colleges may play a role in getting more women to graduate with engineering degrees. You can also check out the annual SWE Literature Review in SWE Magazine's State of Women in Engineering issue. Hi, I'm Roberta Rincon, Senior Manager of Research for the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. I'm joined today by Sakshi Mishra, Energy and AI Researcher at National Renewable Energy Laboratory, NREL. Sakshi is an energy researcher and a power systems engineer working on the nexus of renewable energy and artificial intelligence with the goal of tackling climate change problems through AI technologies. Sakshi leads the Intelligent Campus Program's predictive analytics work at NREL, where her focus is on developing energy forecasting applications using deep learning. She is leading Reopt Light API and its ongoing open source effort. Reopt is a behind-the-meter techno-economic analysis decision-making tool aimed at accelerating DER integration. This tool is being used by industry practitioners, consultants, research labs, as well as students. Prior to joining NREL, Sakshi was grid planning engineer at American Electric Power, where she conducted full integration analysis for utility-scale renewable wind and solar generation plants. She holds a professional engineer license in the state of California. She received her bachelor's degree in electrical and electronics engineering from VIT University in India and her master's degree in energy science technology and policy from Carnegie Mellon University. Thanks for joining us today, Sakshi. Thank you, Robert, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You grew up in India, so what are the differences you see between the two countries when it comes to supporting and encouraging young girls and women to join STEM careers? Mm -hmm. So uh, growing up in a developing country in 90s, I experienced quite fair amount of resistance from elders in the family as I wanted to keep studying. And my grandfather had this mentality, like, which is at the time was typical for society living in small towns in India, that investing in a girl's education is not a good use of the constrained resources they had. So it was like maybe not a good idea, but fortunately my parents who were both uh, master's degrees they had, it was in a non-engineering uh, major, but they were very supportive of my continued education beyond high school. And so, so mind you, it's 90s and 2000s in India, getting an education loan without parents' house as collateral wasn't an option for me. So nor were the scholarships as prevalent as they are today. So that was a little bit of a struggle starting out in this field, but fortunately parents were supportive and it worked out fine. And now fast forwarded two decades here in the US, I feel relieved to see that financial aid is relatively easily available and one just has to be persisting on the path to finding the aid uh, 
for studying if if there is interest in studying. So uh, as well as education loans are relatively easier to get. That said, females and minorities are still underrepresented in the STEM workforce here in the U.S. too. I came across these stats recently that women only currently make up about 28% of the STEM workforce overall and even less like 13% of the engineering workforce and that needs to change. So the context has changed from uh, my uh, childhood country in uh, and today here in the US, but I still see that there is a lot of room where we need to keep working to make it a even a playing field for all, like for all the genders and all the uh, races, humanity as a whole, I would say. I totally agree. There is definitely room for improvement. Your formal studies and early career were in renewable energy and power systems. What steered you toward applying artificial intelligence to climate change problems? Uh-huh. That's, that's kind of an interesting turn which came over my journey. So I basically got my bachelor's from VIT University in India and conducted my bachelor's thesis from Deakin University, Australia. So graduating with electrical engineering major, my inclinations were clear during my bachelor's studies itself that I gravitated toward power systems. This integrated network of generation, transmission, distribution system spread across huge geographical areas carrying electrons that power our lives really fascinated me. And when I went for interning at Deakin University, Australia, I got this opportunity to work in a renewable energy laboratory where a small-scale wind turbine, a solar panel, load, and battery were all set up within the laboratory environment. And I was working on the concept of distributed energy resources and how they are managed in a residential setup. How, how do the power flow, how does the power flow work, and all that uh, technical aspect of it. So that's how I completed my bachelor's, and I saw myself adding most value to the power systems and renewable energy field. And then I moved to United States to obtain my master's from Carnegie Mellon University. And after go going through my master's program, uh, which was in energy science, technology, and policy, I broadened my horizons into various other dimensions of energy field. And I was no more just constrained to loving power systems, but also I had the knowledge and skill to tackle the burning challenges of the time. Like how does the economics of renewable energy integration play out? How do energy markets interact with physical transmission systems? Or how does the bi-directional flow of energy from distributed energy sources are handled? So th those uh, topics really opened up my mind at Carnegie Mellon University. But there was another cool element of my studies there, which was AI. So Carnegie Mellon University is known for its computer science and AI excellence uh, throughout the world. So uh, since I was studying master's there, I started taking up a couple of classes and I was really hooked. So I think from that point on, I uh, even after graduation, I continued collaborating with the students who were CS and AI measures at CMU. Then I took up some online classes too. And then it turned out that AI has a lot of potential to be applied into the energy systems field to solve the problems uh, which exist for integrating more and more renewable energy penetration into our grid. So I think that's that was kind of the turning point where I figured that's where I wanna focus all my research into that. How do 
energy and AI fields come together to solve the problem of climate change. That's fascinating. I love hearing how engineers sort of find their path um, because it's, it's rarely just a straight shot. Um, thank you. What are your professional or society goals as a researcher? So I think professionally, uh, energy AI being kind of the, uh, the focus area I've found. So I aim to direct my research for solving the root causes of climate changes, uh, issues like integrating more renewable energy, or it's, it's also on both utility scale as well as distributed energy resources, which get integrated on our rooftops, on rooftops of buildings, and all the end users, they can also have this uh, small scale technology which can generate energy so that that's kind of a big challenge to orchestrate all operation throughout the whole power systems where big uh, plants are generating and then houses are also now generating power and feeding it back to the grid so it, it needs lots of research to make it work well as it as its penetration grows so that's one place and then a new uh, relatively new field which is emerging is the transportation electrification. So as the penetration of EVs grow, and then they are uh, charging from the grid, sometimes they are selling power back to the grid. So how does that work with the existing distribution systems? That's another uh, fascinating topic I uh, aim to research more into. And then this third, third component of the digitalization, where lots and lots, thousands and millions of sensors throughout, if you think about, let's say, the whole United States footprint, if all the devices throughout the United States have their sensor sensing, this is the generation and this is the consumption. And, and then how to bring that all data together and then process it to generate insights for more efficient operation of all these systems. So that's uh, another area I professionally want to keep uh, moving forward in my research. And in terms of my societal goals, I want to help raise awareness to increase female participation in the STEM field. So I, I think SWE is a great platform for doing so. And I have been actively involved with SWE and I really love the way SWE does it like on a large scale throughout the world actually. And then um, additionally, I have recently taken a role as Denver lead for an organization uh, which is named Women in AI, and that's kind of targeting this niche part of uh, women's participation in the high-tech field of AI. So, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. It sounds like you're really trying to make some um, real changes, real improvements um, yeah. in this area. So in the context of women's participation in the research industry, focused on climate change, what changes would you like to see happen over the course of your time with NREL? Mm -hmm. I think uh, in terms of culture, I believe NREL's culture is actually very much welcoming from my own personal experience. But I'm still trying to understand why is not just at NREL, I think throughout the research industry, uh, the female participation or representation is less. So, and it's not a problem I think we can fix over two months, three months or a year cycle. It's about building the whole pipeline, uh, girls in high schools and then seniors or, or girls in uh, during their bachelors, like really understanding what is kind of keeping them or steering them away from, from getting into high tech or research field is the key. And I feel like there are a couple of factors, uh, including maybe a little lack of role models because we don't have those many percentage of female actually right now working in the field. So it's hard for 
little girls and young young girls to see themselves working in the field where they don't know a neighbor or a relative who has worked in the field. So uh, I think outreach from the existing uh, researchers or engineers working in the field is something uh, I think will play a crucial role. And that's what I, I'm trying to do. And that's the change. I think that should be injected right now in the system so that we see the results five years from now when more girls are actually finding the work interesting, the field interesting, as well as they feel that, oh, I've seen someone working on that. I can do it too. And then I guess the second part of the equation is really affirming them, meaning if you want to do it, it is very much possible and you can do it. And that also, I think, trickles down from the existing uh, professionals who are already in, the, already in the field who can like mentor and help girls see like that, oh, if you're dreaming of doing that, yes, you can do that. So those two components coming together, and that's where I think I'm trying to um, focus my efforts to. That's great. Yeah, very important um, and, and wonderful recommendations for, for engineers who are, are in the workforce. Um, but do you have any advice for young girls who may be aspiring to build a meaningful technical career in the sustainability industry? Yes, a, a few things I think that which might help them. So one thing is that building a sustainable future of the planet by addressing the climate change problem is a big conundrum that needs many, many brilliant minds to solve. So if they are interested in contributing the, to this field, it's, uh, it's great. And there are many different ways to approach it, meaning there, there are many different angles to approach it, which is it be technical or policy or markets to name a few. So if they are aspiring to grow in the technical angle that they want a technically focused career, which leads to uh, or contributes to sustainability works, uh, then all engineering majors, even if it's electrical, mechanical, chemical, all sorts of engineering measures, majors have different outlets into sustainability industry. So if it's a chemical engineering is their, is their focus, then they can work on battery storage solutions. If electrical engineering is what they're interested in, then they can go for power systems or distribution systems modeling. If they are uh, into mechanical engineering, that's what they love to do, then building CHP combined uh, heat and power systems and how to, how to scale them down to bring them to distributed energy resources scale. So, so given like whatever engineer engineering measure they are interested in, they should know that it's very much possible to contribute to sustainability related projects with their um, major interest. So my advice would be for them to actually expose themselves to real world challenges through internships early in their studies, and then constantly seek to pick brains of engineers working in the field. That is basically networking. The more they network uh, and hear or understand or see that how uh, their major could relate to actual project which is happening in the industry, be it research or actual industry, uh, that's when I think it will help them to stay inspired and stay on track to get to the point where they are uh, they have grown into a professional in this field. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, engineering and engineering education is so versatile. Um, but, you know, kind of going back to your background, you come from a hands-on um, engineering background through your work at American Electric Power as a grid planning engineer. 
what difference do you see between these two slightly different technical paths, a frontline engineer versus a researcher? That's a very good question. So these are kind of two different ways of looking at the same problem we are trying to solve, which is integrating more renewable energy into the grid. So as a frontline engineer at AP, I was working on issues which are issues of today. So today we see that this transmission line is overloaded and it needs to be replaced. What are the te technical implications? What are the, how is the economics going to work out? And what are the market uh, uh, implications that how will this be uh, become a competitive project as per FERC? FERC 1000 order? So those are the kinds of questions I'm trying to answer when the problem is right here. And then there has to be fixed, which should be there. Versus as a researcher, now I'm having to look at the problems five years from now or 10 years from now, that when there are 90% of the vehicles are all electric vehicles, then how is distribution grid going to handle that kind of situation? So thinking far ahead and then developing the tools which can support to answer such questions is the approach I take as a researcher versus an engineer who was like, these are the tools or uh, industry tools, basically, uh, which are available as software packages. And I'm going to use them and I'm going to solve the problem to make sure this transmission line doesn't blow up because of uh, the overloading or issues it's uh, facing. That, that's an extreme scenario, by the way, <laughs> I am talking about blowing up. It doesn't in reality. So it's, but one thing I think uh, I have found very useful is Having worked as a frontline engineer, I saw the actual problems and how industries approach their solution. So that really helps me make informed decision of the methodologies I use uh, as a researcher and, and the outcome I'm trying to bring as a software product or a tool, uh, decision-making tool, which eventually I want industry people to use. So that, that really helps me make that informed choice of what would make a best helpful tool for industry to use. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. I mean, uh, that hands-on real-world experience can really inform your work as a researcher. And, and thank you for that um, contrast. That even if it is a bit extreme, it really helps to, to identify the, the benefits of, of both, right? And, and the experiences that you've had in both, both ways, uh, both paths. Um, kind of switching gears and, and you know, I want to ask you about work-life balance because it can be difficult as a working woman, especially one in a research industry, to find that balance. So what do you do to unwind and disconnect from your professional responsibilities? It's kind of a mix of both trying to let my creative outlet, trying to let my creativity out through my work at times, but at times it's just a activity like maybe painting or pencil sketching or sometimes I like dancing too so that's something I've been doing for years now so uh, I don't do it professionally or on stage but it's just in the home in the living room but I think those are the kind of ways I try to like at least find 30 minutes every day to keep myself physically active but also have it as a creative outlet to I guess yeah balance the work and life aspect of Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I've got one more question for you. Um, I want to close it uh, by asking you if you could give one piece of advice to current engineers who'd like to make that switch to pivot to the research industry, um, especially in the clean energy domain, what would it be? 
I have a few in mind, so I'm trying to come up with one piece of advice which should be <laughs> given. Uh, so if they want, they are right now uh, working in an industry and they want to pivot to research, uh, then a good starting point would be to get themselves acquainted more with uh, programming because that is kind of the component I have seen. The kind of applied research I do, that's that's one component which really, really makes it uh, more, much more effective to contribute as a researcher if they are able to come up with short, sweet scripts whenever here and there needed to uh, to make uh, to like build small prototypes, I would say. So if they just half an hour, a couple of hours over the week or half an hour a day, if they start for looking into that direction, then uh, it's gonna six months from now, it's gonna help them a lot. If once they start seeking uh, uh, job opportunities to switch into this field. Sakshi, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today and for providing some really valuable insight for our current and future engineers and leaders. Thank you. Thanks again for having me here today. It was a pleasure. I'm Roberto Rincon. For all of us at SWE, thanks for listening. <laughs>